The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. Find out about all of SeaDeck's amazing standard and customizable applications at www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. And now, it's showtime. Unbelievable. Recognized as the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast. With the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast, everybody. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Mano, recording down in sunny Orlando, Florida. And now it's time for some audio sunshine. Looking forward to today's guest. He's a longtime friend of mine, a guy who has coached me on and off the water for over 25 years. Kevin Michael, known around the industry as Kevco, joins me on this 35th episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. Kevco coached me as a nine-year-old boy down in southeast Wisconsin before I became a member of the illustrious water ski team known as the Aquanuts, which became such a huge part of my life. Kevco was a hotshot skier, very laid back, cool, talented, and most importantly, humble. Kevco left Wisconsin just about a year or two after I met him to pursue a career as a professional show skier and college student. We reconnected in about 2002 when I first moved down to Florida and quickly became close friends. Kev is a more behind-the-scenes guy, but has done so much for the toad water sports industry. I'm surprised he doesn't get much more recognition than he does, but hey, that's not his style. As I said before, he's a humble dude, and I think the sports longevity and evolution is more important to him than collecting trophies, plaques, and awards of recognition. This is going to be a good one with some great info for you all as well as some great stories from the old days. And we'll get into all that in just a moment. But first, as always, the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you free twice monthly at noiseofthenorth.com or available on iTunes through the podcast app. So be sure to subscribe and help us out by rating and reviewing the show. To keep this podcast no charge to you, the listener, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show. SeaDeck Marine Products, Performance Ski and Surf, Woodrow's Sustainable Optics, Hungry Boards SUP, Boulder Boats, GoPuck, and Rockstar Energy. Make sure to click on the sponsor link at noiseofthenorth.com for easy access to all our great sponsors as well as some special deals just for you. Be sure to follow me, tag me, tweet me on social media, Instagram at DanoTMano, on Twitter at TheDanoTMano, and at the Golden underscore Mike, and be sure to like the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook. With all that being said, it's time to dive into the deep end with Mr. Kevin Michael here on the Golden Mike podcast. Performance Ski and Surf in Orlando, Florida is your one-stop shop for all towed water sports needs. As an industry leader for more than two decades, Performance Ski and Surf's pro staff will sweep you off your feet with loads of industry knowledge and the best customer service in the biz. Right now, you can order online from perfski.com and receive 10% off your entire purchase by using my promo code GOLDENMIKE, all capital letters. Whether you're looking for current or closeout gear, Performance Ski and Surf has it all. 
all. And right now with my promo code, Golden Mike, you just can't beat the deals. Performance Ski and Surf is just minutes from the Orlando International Airport or online at perfski.com. That's P-E-R-F-S-K-I.com. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. For anybody who skipped the intro, uh, I want to make sure that that you guys know exactly who the gentleman I'm sitting with right here. Mr. Kevin Michaels, Twin Lakes Aquanut Water Show alumni along with current performance ski and surf manager Anthony Monaco past overall Pro Tour world champion and one-time Golden Mike podcast guest Eric Ruck, Shane Bonifay, myself, all Aquanaut alumni. You pulled me on my tryout in 1992 for the Aquanauts, and earlier that summer you coached me. I was probably about nine years old. I made the team. Uh, In show skiing, you won the most valuable male skier award known as the Skip Gilkerson Award. You water skied around the world professionally at places like Marine World and SeaWorld, graduated college. You've won first place trophies at some of the biggest wakeboard contests in the world. You've judged the biggest wakeboard contests in the world. Uh, For many years, you were the editor of Wakeboard Magazine. You created the Trick of the Year Award, which has become what seems to be wakeboarding's most coveted prize. You also started the Wake Awards. And... Should I keep going or? Yeah, I mean, geez, I'm feeling like like gold again, Dana. <laughs> it feels good, right? Put me on a wakeboard. Yeah. So I want to I want to start off by talking about uh, your days in amateur show skiing. Uh, can you describe, say, like the scene in the late '80s or the '90s, like pre wakeboarding? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it was just Wisconsin. This was pre internet, no cell phones. It was just. You know, call your buddies up in the morning. Where are we going to go? Whose boat are we going on? And you just go have fun all day. And there's really no other objective than just being out in the water with your buddies, kind of raising hell and having fun. And, you know, my sister was a big part of that, too. Her and I would pull each other around the lake. We got our boater's license at age 12. So we were able to take out the boat on our own um, from that time on. And, you know, we just I just I don't remember anything but. You know, we got our lake house when I was three years old. I learned how to water ski when I was six. And, you know, soon after that, the Aquanuts came home with the national trophy. And, um, you know, that show ski site was just minutes from our house. So there was really, you know, it was just the path was in front of me. So I just, you know, loved every minute and took advantage of every opportunity that was presented through my parents and, you know, all the good folks around Twin Lakes and Lake Geneva area. Well, now the Aquanauts is a show ski team, and, and that's really what you were known for. But did you dabble in any three event or follow any three events? We did. Team? Actually, when uh, when Supra came out with their boats, my friend Jeff Welling had a Supra, and we went to some tournaments, which was interesting because I ended up being in the same division as Freddy Krueger, who went and set that jump record just this year. So, yeah, him and I are the same age. We used to compete in Decatur, Illinois and stuff. We were trick skiing and... You know, looking back on it, we were really just, you know, trying wakeboard tricks on our trick ski, but this was before, you know, I think scurfers and that were out, but, you know, we liked boots with high wraps, so, you know, once wakeboard started coming out with high wrap boots, it was kind of the feeling of, yeah, this is what we were trying to do the whole time, you know. 
Okay, so nowadays you, you look at the industry and we've got wakeboarders, wake skaters, wake surfers, skiers. But when you started, what I guess I'm asking is like, what was like kind of like the culture breakdown of, of the sport? You know, what, what were like the different kind of disciplines? It's really funny. I mean, what we did and the kind of style that we liked was different than the rest of competitive water skiing. It was more fun. It had more personality and more of your own flair and you know at the end of the day it was okay what are we doing tonight you know it was very social it was you know lots of fun parties and just people having a good time so when wakeboarding came about in the early days on tour it kind of had that same feeling you know what I mean sure so did so did all of the disciplines get along back in those days you know like the I mean, water skier like the, the three eventers and the show skiers yeah, I think three event was definitely a different world. Um, they took things pretty seriously. I remember, you know, we had to write down our runs and stuff when we were trick skiing, and I would always mess up, and the judges would kind of scold you for that. But, uh, you know, you wanted to get that gainer in. It didn't matter if you did what you said you were going to do or not, right? Right. Well, you, you, I'm guessing probably in those days it was pretty impressive being able to do a flip on a trick ski i mean even i'm guessing yeah I, was, I remember trying to set a record to be the youngest i remember trying them at 12 years old I, we weren't aware of anyone that was 12 or younger doing them so i was trying to land them before i turned 13 i think but again it, there was no internet <laughs> yeah exactly but um yeah i was right around one of the youngest at the time well you know you're obviously a pretty pretty good skier back in the day and you're a guy who could flip on anything you wrote, I'm guessing that was kind of the goal in those days. Um, but I want to know is, uh, like the flip, is that really what helped you stand out compared to other like amateur show skiers? The fact that you were able to like basically flip anything? Probably. I mean, yeah, what we were doing, you know, Anthony Monaco and myself and Steve Bosco and those guys, Jeff Welling, we were definitely, we liked being inverted above the water. That was fun. And we liked just going for the hardest tricks. We definitely didn't, stick to the fundamentals which you know in hindsight we definitely should have i want to kind of get to the early days and i'll find out who are some <laughs> of the first pros that you skied with or, or shredded with had the opportunity to 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 spend time with um well you know when i turned 18 that's really when things started changing you know my my mullet was really in full effect you know it was just fall lapping in the breeze and we came down one winter as we always did um, one year we came in January. Down to Florida. Yeah, I was in college at the time. I think I was 19, maybe still 18. And we came down and we got to hang out with Zane Schwank and Hank Amos and Dave Briscoe and those guys. And, uh, you know, that was a real changer for me because the first, well, it was still directional boards. It was the Connolly Blade that we were on at the time, but the Razor was coming out soon after that, which is sure. the first kind of, you know, twin tip design. One of the first. I actually and, got uh, one of your old razor boards. Oh, please hold on to that. Like, yeah. Well, my, my my good pal Kenny Meyer That's right, took it does. for his son. But, uh, yeah. Hold on to that. We still have it for sure. Um, but yeah, watching Zane at the time, we were both the same age and we were kind of doing the same thing. He came from the show ski world and we had a kind of fun, competitive relationship. Um, Zane was just, you know, if you know him today, just imagine him when he was 18 and twice as crazy and. The guy was just insane on the water. Like that's why he got his nickname Insane Zane. Every time he'd go out, he'd invent something new. He'd do something that you've never seen before. We'd go home and rewind the videos. You know, 
a lot of my videos that have uh, footage of Zane have that tracking line through them, you know, right. rewinding so many times and literally frame by frame, slow-moing what that guy was doing. It was next level. Yeah, you know, and, and you got got to hand it to Zane. I mean, still, he's he's one of the most fun guys on the water, you know. Oh, he's the best. Not really a competitive wakeboarder as much anymore, but still, you know, still uh, just just phenomenal to watch out there. So, you know, this is kind of, you're talking kind of almost pre-wakeboard at, at this point. So, you know, these guys who you just mentioned, they're not only, you know, some of the pioneers of, of early day wakeboarding, but they were also uh, great water skiers but not necessarily three event skiers right? yeah no a lot of them were at cypress gardens and SeaWorld, and they were doing freestyle jumping you know at the time and then they had it was actually called the knee and ski board series was the first wakeboarding tour um, i believe that was around 91 92 93 and then you know there's a big push by the magazine and uh guys like tony finn saying like hey this sport should be called wakeboarding that's what it's gonna be let's stick to that and uh you know, that that was around 93. Okay, so it seems to me like you pretty much went pro right after high school. But in the 90s, I think going pro sort of had a, a different meaning behind it. What do you think it was? I mean, there was just a, a next level rankings and uh, that, you know, existed beyond the Wisconsin Division One show ski teams. And... You know, after that successful season I had, we started getting phone calls, and my sister and I went to Japan for our first gig, and, you know, I was 18 years old in Japan, just kind of... Can you talk about what in. you guys were kind of doing there? Yeah, we were just um, putting on shows at this expo, it a big, um, it's called Expo, a big <clears throat> theme park with rides and stuff, and it was basically a summer festival that we were the entertainment for, and yeah, it was life-changing experience for sure so what were you skiing like what acts were you doing in the show i jumped a lot i was into jumping that you know that was jumping was probably my favorite you're going 35 miles an hour hauling at a six foot ramp and you know again being inverted over the water is what we love there's a lot of high risk high reward and you know you got banged up a lot but i i really loved it and then we trick skied in the show and barefooted and all that stuff and did the acts with the girls, like the pyramids and stuff like that. It makes so, it all worth it, right? It was fun. Okay, so it was the early 90s that you were introduced to wakeboarding. Uh, did you, you know, you you have this pro show ski career going on. Did you ever aspire at all to become a pro wakeboarder? Did you ever try dabbling in that at all? Yeah, and there was a moment, um, you know, it was cool, Dana, when I was at Marine World out in California, I, was, I would make wakeboard videos every year. And, um, you know, people were getting hurt wakeboarding and then they couldn't ski in the show. So the, they had this list where you had to get checked off to be able to try inverts on a wakeboard. And this is like a mandate from our show director at the time. And so I remember that year, the video was called get checked off, you know, and it showed everybody wakeboarding. And then I got to SeaWorld, um, in San Antonio in 1998 and dude, we had two brand new aeronautics every year, you know, with ballast and great wakes and. You know, between shows, we had hours and, you know, didn't have to pay for gas and we were getting paid to be there and just taking wakeboarding to the next level. And I remember, you know, there's there was a time where I was getting pretty decent. I thought about um, taking a run at it, but I was still doing the show ski thing. And then one year I injured my back. So that's kind of how I led to Orlando and got involved with the magazines and stuff because we were contracted by World Entertainment, which was owned by World Publications at the time. 
um, publishers of Water Ski Magazine, Wakeboarding Magazine, and Windsurfing, and all those cool, fun water sports. So it was a pretty natural transition into that. But, you know, with that first desk job, you know, my uh, career on the water started to slow down. But the beauty of it was, you know, they wanted me in the scene. They wanted me in the mix and staying on the water. So I got to... Well, because as a skier at SeaWorld, you're also... I mean, at this time, the late 90s, you're... Some of the SeaWorld skiers are also professional wakeboarders, right? Yeah, there was. And, you know, looking back, at, they obviously weren't this stylish crew, you know. And uh, through my time at the magazine, I, I started to actually become friends with different kinds of guys. I remember in the early days, Thomas Sorrell, we got in a fight the first time we met. But um, after that, we became really good friends. And then over the years, I got to, you know, get to know Scott Byerly really well. And I just... I really had an appreciation for what they were doing on the water because I couldn't ride like that. They just had a different look and it wasn't my background. And, you know, we were like kind of the jocks or whatever that, you know, had kooky ski board style and stuff. And here these guys were like skateboarders, surfers, you know, snowboarders and that bringing this style to wakeboarding that I just thought was the coolest thing Well, it ever. just seems like, it seems to me as if, Guys like Scott and Thomas, they just started really focusing on one aspect of Toad Water Sports and really trying to give that, you know, uh, uh, you know, like a, a true meaning in the sport. You know, where you go out in a boat with a guy like you, and you're probably taking a set on your shoe skis, a set on on your jump skis, a set on your trick ski, maybe a barefoot lap around the lake or something like that. And and I say this about myself all the time. I'm a really, I'm like really good at a lot of things, but yeah, awesome at nothing. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Trick skiing, you're pretty, pretty advanced, my friend. I mean, I, I go back to the basics, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. So let's talk about Wakeboarding Mag. You spent a lot of time there. Yeah, um, how, years. How was the evolution of where you started and to, to where you went? I mean, what an era, Dan. I was just, you know, it was 1998 when I got my first job there. Tony Smith was managing editor. Um, Tom James was still the editor. Heather Lee was there as the photo editor. And it was such an exciting time for wakeboarding because product development, riding, everything was just exponentially growing. And there was so much energy during that time. Any given day, you'd see someone, Sean Murray, Kobe Mikasich, Darren Shapiro, Parks, Gator, Byerly, any of those guys would just walk in the office and, you know, check out photos. And that was really the vibe of the magazine was this this movement happening in Orlando, and I was just loving it, just taking it all in. So did you, at this point, you get the job with Wakeboard Magazine around 1998 or so. Mm-hmm. Did At that point, was water skiing done for you? I mean, I definitely went all in on wakeboarding um, around that time. I just... You know, we've always been in the search of a progressive water sport, right, Dano? You know, so sure. it's that was kind of where the energy was. I definitely still um, worked with Water Ski Magazine a bit. See, we launched websites back then. It was the whole dot-com boom. So we, I, I helped launch waterskimag.com, wakeboardingmag.com, and some other titles, um, including the Pro Water Ski Tour and Pro Wakeboard Tour websites. And, you know, so I, I worked around all the groups, but, I mean wakeboarding was it and i was i was starting to ride with people around town um you know in the early days when i met josh letchworth i remember 
riding on Windermere quite a bit. Um, I got to see like the McKee brothers and their style. And it was just, you know, getting a ride with Dana Preble and like some of the real old schoolers just kind of hooked me in, man. And I was sold on wakeboarding for sure. Okay. So how did you end up becoming editor of wakeboard magazine and when? Well, it was, uh, some, some luck, some, uh, timing, you know, as those things go, but it was a work hard, work hard, play hard type of scenario. Um, I was, uh, it was funny. I was writing a product piece. I think that's how a lot of the editors got their start was being the one that would do the work that the real editor didn't want to do. And Tony asked me one time, he's like, Hey Kev, I got to write up, you know, these mid season boards. Will you do that for me? And I'm like, sure. And I remember, you know, like, I think Badass was still making boards at the time, Herbie Fletcher and those guys. And, um, you know, I just remember writing up these mid-season boards and just inserting some witty humor in. And uh, that went well. So all of a sudden I became, you know, the product. You know, that that column was now mine every month, and I enjoyed doing it. And Tony actually moved on. Him and Bill McCaffrey was actually on staff at Wakeboarding Magazine at the time. And he brought just so much edge and just so much interesting content um, at the time. And but those two uh, went on and started Blue Torch magazine, which some people would remember the action sports group, which, um, you know, sort of morphed into Alliance as time went on. But uh, yeah, so those guys moved on. Jeff, Jeff Barton came in. Um, JB was hired as the editor and he needed a managing editor. So he definitely um, gave me the nod there. And, JB is quite the wordsmith himself. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, he definitely, you know, poked fun at my water ski roots. And, you know, I made fun of him for being him. And we just had fun. He became a really good friend of mine. And he's just a uh, one-of-a-kind dude. And will go down in history as one of the sport's um, biggest promoters. All you time. know, yeah, sure. I remember watching JB on ESPN too, and yeah, and uh, you know, and, and when I first got my start as an announcer, you know, JB mentored me for 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 a bit, yep. and uh, yeah, and it was fun because he, he he's he's for real. He yeah, him and, and Tony Smith. Um, Tony Smith was also a great influence on me, and just just a solid dude, great character, and you know, those guys trusted me and. I appreciate it now when I look back because there's people I've helped out along the way and it makes you appreciate how you get your first start, you know? Sure. Well, you know, looking at 13 years as at Wakeboard Magazine and looking back at your time and through the pages of Wakeboard Mag and your writing, you know, I think what, what truly set you apart as an editor and, and, and your position was how much time you had were spending with these athletes how you truly knew them you I mean they, they weren't just people on a piece of paper or a bio sheet or something i mean these are these are your friends and you become so close to these guys like you said you're spending all this time going over to their house uh riding in the boats you know spending time wakeboarding with them how did you find time to edit the magazine <laughs> well it was always that monthly crunch right on deadline time but you know there was there was you know, again, this was before social media. This was, you know, before it, it was just a different era, Dano. And I remember as time went on, I was encouraged by Tom James, who was our our publisher at the time, um, actually our editorial director. He was the the original editor of Wakeboarding Magazine. He 
knew that I liked being in the scene and he knew it gave content that authenticity that, you know, is hard to find. And he knew Orlando was good for that. And, you know, there's times where he'd say, Kev, get out of here. Like, isn't it sunny and glassy right now? I'd be like, yeah. He goes, what are you doing here? You know, and I got my first digital camera and just got out and started doing interviews. And yeah, those guys, I mean, and girls, just a lot of really good friends, you know, it was more than just wakeboarding. It was birthdays and weddings and you know, we were still are today, just, you know, some of my best friends. And I think they enjoyed, you know, having me out because it was fun. I always had fun. I'd ride to learn something, push myself a little bit, hit some double ups, you know. And I mean, that was the dream job for me. So I was just, you know, putting in as much as I could because, you know, I knew we were, we were onto something with this, this uh, relatively new sport of wakeboarding. And it was just fun to be a part of that whole era. We'll definitely never be like that again. Well, in the early days, it seemed like there was just so many like diverse groups of of people who were a part of the scene. Uh, you had the Australians, you had Murray mm-hmm. and his crew, you had Pointless, you had uh, Thomas Harrell and the new crew guys. Yep. You had uh, got you know Byerly and his crew. Um, you know, obviously I could just keep going with these, with these different groups of, of riders, but I think it's, it's that time. I don't, I want to like get down to it and hear some, some of the good stories from, from back in the day. <laughs> and some of the guys who I think probably produce some of the best stories out there are the Australians. Oh yeah. And, and like you're saying, Dan, all that just eclectic mix of personalities and styles, I think, um, made wakeboarding great. And I, you know, it's one thing I noticed today is you see a lot of similar styles and a lot of you know, riders riding alike. And I really miss the days when it was cool to be different, you know? And so I think, you know, if there's anything we could change about today, it's to kind of just break out of the same style that everyone else is doing and just push something totally new that we've never seen before. And I I don't know, I think there's room for that. I don't want to like get off uh, the subject too much, but, but kind of going a little deeper on that. What's the deal with it nowadays? I mean, is it, do you think that do you think that it's just a time where, um, you know, what, what's, why is there so, I'm not going to say it's stale right now. It's not, but there, you know, you can watch four guys basically throw the same rundown. At a contest. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think back in the day, there was more room to be a free rider and now it's, um, you know, the money's in the competitions. So if you're going to be successful and get that notoriety and, you know, exposure for your sponsors, you got to go hit the contest and then, you know, you got to ride a certain way um, within the confines. You know, it's usually a four-trick run, which I think has been pretty cool. That format's doing really well. But um, it doesn't mean that the judges don't appreciate, you know, big poked-out backside 180s or, you know, tricks grabbed in different ways because they do. And I'll tell you from judging, sitting in the boat all day, when you get to see a rider come out like Keith Lyman, Randall Harris used to come out, um, I would say Dean Smith nowadays, someone who just rides totally different – I know that that was influencing me and it's an overall impression score and I can vouch for the other guys in the boat. They appreciated that style too. How, 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 how do you judge that when you have a guy like Dean Smith who just goes out there and, you know, maybe he doesn't throw that extra 180 on his trick, but he holds that grab, pokes it out and takes it bigger and further out. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's, that's the subjectivity of it. And I would definitely lean towards, um, the bigger style getting through, even though it's just a 360. Well, he did it switch and he grabbed the 
out of it. You know, and those kinds of things would definitely influence my scores. I felt sometimes more um, than the other judges. They, you know, but they'd they'd make some decent points. They'd be like, "Look, this other rider, you know, so and so hit all his marks. He did every category trick, grabbed everything, you know, and that they'll Played make the a case." But right. you know, as a fan of the sport, when you see someone going big, it's just I love it. You right. know, so that's the human element of it. So. All right, Kevco, we're going to put things on pause for just one moment. And guys, we'll be right back with more here on the Golden Mike Podcast presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck Non-Skid Closed-Cell EVA products offer safe and comfortable alternatives to molded-in non-skid paint-on textures and other marine traction products. Employee-owned and made in the USA, SeaDeck is UV-protected, non-absorbent foam, and features an innovative textured micro-dot surface for enhanced non-slip characteristics. SeaDeck offers hundreds of standard patterns for anything from kayaks and paddleboards to fishing boats, wake boats, and just about anything you can think of. Looking for something a bit more custom? SeaDeck can facilitate just about any idea you can think of. Check out SeaDeck.com for more info on everything SeaDeck. Again, that's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. The Golden Mike Podcast is back with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano, presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. All right, everybody, we're continuing our conversation with Mr. Kevin Michael, a.k.a. Kevco. I want to ask you, I want to find out. So, okay, so the Australians, they've got that 12-month summer for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and the U.S. riders, you don't they tend to see too many guys spend that much time over in Australia. I mean, back when they had the, the, the Australian Pro Tour, a few of the guys would go over yeah, there and go compete. for a month or something, yeah. Month, but, but really... You don't have the guys, you know, here in Florida, I guess it, the beautiful thing is we can stay here and, you know, you look right now, it's, you know, February 1st or something like that, and it's 65 degrees out, you know, blue skies and glassy conditions, mm-hmm. you know. This is this is a perfect September day for us back in Wisconsin, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so I want to find out, what were some of the differences, would you say, b- between like the Australians and the in the U.S. riders, especially I mean, early days? God, those those dodgy boys were just freaking hilarious, man! Like it was all comedy, like from sun up to sundown. And you know, think about it: they're young, they're in America. Australians, you know, are super carefree, and those guys were just having more fun than anyone else. And so I was drawn to that, and they um. They were riding at a place, which is only about 10 minutes from the magazine. So I ended up becoming really good friends with Daniel Watkins. Um, he called me up one night. He, uh, the way I met him was out of the blue. We had landlines, and he called me on my landline. He needed a ride across town, you know, and I picked him up in the Switch. That was my minivan at the time. They had four-inch wakeboard fins coming out the roof on the nose and tail and the velvet throne on the inside. And, you know, I, I knew Daniel was a cool guy. We had some mutual friends, but I never met him in person. And I picked him up. He's like, hey, man, what's up? I'm like, I got a six-pack here. You want one? He's like, hell yeah. So we kind of just, you know, became instant friends and was riding with him and Josh Sanders and Brett Eisenhower and Greg Falzon and, you know, whoever would come from Australia and visit those guys, Bruce Robson back in the day. And you talk about how, like how great of the times and how fun and and wild and crazy these guys are, and it sounds like this is a lot of off the water. How about on the water? 
Well, they're just raw talent. I mean, they could do anything they wanted to on the water. They could, they're always being spontaneous, and I like that style. Um, you know, when rollers are coming, they're interacting and doing re-entries and going out on whips and jumping over docks and just, it wasn't just a wake-to-wake fest. It was, you know, this free rider spirit, although in a different type of free rider. Um, they're but, kind of like a Saturday at the lake kind of. Yeah, just fun, you know, fun dudes on the water having fun and you know we'd uh they pushed my riding quite a bit you know we'd uh do a lot of photo shoots with like joey medock and the magazine and stuff and Jana Waring was hanging around at the time and you know we just watched sunset kick some beers barbecue and just laugh you that's know? right put, a, put a, another shrimp on the barbie right totally all right so what was it like riding with murray back when i don't know maybe he had less responsibility family-wise. I mean, was was Murray ever a wild man or is he all... I, I mean, he's a funny dude nowadays, but, you know, he's he's a good boy, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, what can you say about Sean that hasn't been said? But I'll tell you um, from my experience in dealing with him just what a good dude he really is. Like, deep down, a couple times just be me and him on his boat on... Lake Whippoorwill out there, and he would always want me to learn something new. He'd always see a certain trick and think, man, you got a good tantrum. You could take that to blind, you know, and stuff like that. And but we'd finish riding. He'd put the boat in idle back to the dock, and he'd just kind of turn to you and be like, so what's up, man? How's everything going? You know, and you're like, all right, well, I get to pretty much have, like, a therapy session with Murray right yeah. now, you know, and kind of sort through everything in life. And I used to bounce ideas off him and stuff and conflicts I was having and He's just a really intelligent guy, and I, you know, I appreciated that because you know, wakeboarders had a, a stereotype of being not that smart, and I love, I love Matt Staker's reply to that back in the day. He said, "You know, all these people say that wakeboarders aren't really smart." He goes, "Well, we're the ones getting paid to wakeboard, and you're sitting in an office. Who's the smart one?" Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Sure. So, but I think you know Murray had a step on everyone else, obviously, and. Watching him ride from the boat is just a very inspiring, you know, Still view. Still to and, this day it is, yeah. right? I think Jimmy LaRich was commenting at a tour stop recently in the last year that, you know, Murray's still getting better on a wakeboard. And that's right. pretty phenomenal. He's, I believe, 39 years old now. and But, yeah, just, again, having fun, you know. It's just he, he gets it. And right. he's he's probably, you know, been the rider that's, been the most in touch with the grassroots and all his fans and he started it with the backyard tour you know back in the early 2000s i think that was but that was you know him getting in touch with the fans and he's still in the readers poll man i think he got what second or third in the readers poll this year he's a man of the fans like you said so yeah so can't you know it's all been said and it's all for good reason and well deserved all right, you talked about having a little altercation with Thomas Harrell and then everything <laughs> kind of got smoothed out. Um, but Thomas Harrell was really one of the first guys who transitioned, if not the first, from wakeboarder to wake skater. He's one of the pioneers of yep. wake skating as we know it. And I've heard that you were one of the first people that got to um, see the, the the wood wake skate that, that mm-hmm. Thomas uh, came out with. Can you kind of talk about that story and maybe what what you thought when Thomas walked up with this piece of wood with grip tape on it? Well, remember, too, he had pink hair, no teeth, and, 
you know, piercings, lip piercings. And he, he was just, he looked like an outcast. And, uh, yeah, he walks in my office and he sees a picture on the wall. I think it was like a SeaWorld team photo or something like that. And I knew his background, um, you know, that not many of the wake wakeboarders knew. But when Thomas came in, Tony Smith introduced him to me. He's like, hey, Thomas, I want you to meet our web editor. You was know, this Thomas is... O'Skier? Or was it... Well, so, so Thomas looks on the wall and sees the photo of the SeaWorld ski team. He's like, dude. Like he's meeting, <laughs> Thomas is meeting me. He's supposed to be, not, you know, a cordial introduction with the Wakeboarding Magazine web editor. Tony's like, hey, Thomas, this is Kevin Michael. He's, you know, doing our website and stuff. And Thomas just goes, dude, what are you f***ing wearing? Tights? I was like, okay, that's next level, you know. And uh, but uh, I think I hit him right back with, yeah, didn't you guys used to wear those at the Christian Family Water Ski School growing up? And he just is like speechless. He's standing there totally speechless. And uh, you know, I saw Tony's jaw drop, and and then we all just start laughing, like because it was funny, you know. And, right. And Tony's like telling me on the down though, he's saying like, that's how you got to talk to him. Like, don't let him give you, you know, he'll respect you for that. And so. We kind of had that relationship from the start. But, yeah, soon after that, Thomas rolled up one day, and um, he walked up. He looked like a skater, you know. He walked up with a wooden deck with grip tape, and we walk outside um, the old World Pub offices, and he said, yeah, you know, you wear shoes. He goes, this is what I'm – this is the first prototype. It was the first cassette prototype wooden deck. And before that, wake skaters were just on, you know, cut-down wakeboards and stuff. Sure. And so that was the first, and and I didn't even know, I couldn't even get my head around, you know, what this was going to be, but I knew unmistakably, without a doubt, that he was onto something, and so we just, you know, attached ourselves to it, and Tony was embedded in that scene at the time and so did you, know. you did you get how how soon after that did you get to watch thomas ride this wood wake skate yeah i think we went out on uh lake killarney um a few times after that and then thomas started having these kids come out of the woodwork that would ride like him and you know that there are people coming out of nowhere that just attach themselves to the cassette movement and you know a lot didn't come through in the media back then but those guys were also really funny like Thomas was hilarious and his style was kind of antics. You know, he liked to, to, um, break the status quo and kind right. of do that. I've seen him, uh, get, uh, physically removed, uh, from the wakeboarding magazine offices against his will. Um, after, you know, pulling that kind of the shenanigans that he did. I think he, I think he threw, a. I think he threw a piece of metal at Dean Turkle, our PR director, one time because Dean told him to, to quiet down or something. And uh, yeah, he got removed pretty fast that day. And but you know, it's fun. You know, so Tony be taking pictures of that stuff and we'd be laughing about it. Oh and, yeah, and I and I've heard you know, stories. And before I started announcing, the uh, cassette team would would get a booth, a ten by ten at the wakeboard yeah. contest. And they'd have instead of showing product, it'd be a kissing booth. Or <laughs> uh, I heard one year they brought right. a pony. Yeah, to let people like ride around on a pony. Just like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, you know? those guys were on it. They were before their time, and I I don't think the industry and the market even understood. Thomas was always three years ahead of his time on everything he did. Sure, there were songs that he picked in in his parts in Wakeskate videos that became hit songs three years later. Right, that's such great height song that he played. I think it was in uh, Spumato. Oh, might okay. have been. I think it was Spumato that that was a song in, and. uh yeah, it was like three years later. Also, and that's a huge like mainstream hit. That was just very typical of 
everything that Thomas did. Yeah. Well, you know, we all miss him uh, as a part of the sport, and uh, I was neighbors with him for a while, and, and a talented guy off the water, too. I would go there, and he'd just be jamming on the piano. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was fun, but, you know, there's no doubt. He... Semi on a, it's you know from the from the photos in the magazine and the same thing like with Scott Byerly you know you look at the magazine and the image that the, that was being portrayed and and it was you know it was nerve wracking to approach those guys yeah and that's that's kind of where I kind of had I was young enough and had that kind of didn't give a rip attitude that I would go right up to those guys and start talking to them and um, you know I think they appreciated that but. You know, I could get Scott to open up and talk about things, and I think so. Then you know, the magazine where I say, "Hey, Kev, can you can you call Scott? You know, we need something from Scott. Can you call Scott?" And you know, he for some reason I don't know why. You know, I was this show skiered party boy from Wisco. I mean, we were like polar opposites, like right. diametrically opposed um, in the water sports world. But I think you know, I just gave him that respect, and he knew that I appreciate what he was doing. And Scott always valued the exposure in wakeboarding magazine he held that in highest regard right so even during the internet you know boom he was still thinking i want a cover shot you know right. and we did several covers with scott i was um, personally a part of probably four of his i think he's had eight or nine covers now of the magazine wow. and you know i think it was when our daughters became good friends that we really became closer as friends too and you know i just have a lot of respect for him off the water um, as you know, the father that he is and just the person that he is. And, you know, we just talk about real life stuff and have beers and just kind of catch up on life. And it's just, it was an unexpected friend, but, you know, I definitely appreciate everything I learned from that guy. Cause you know, you, you go home after hanging out with Scott Byerly and you're just like in a good place. You know, it's kind of like just that Zen. He just got that real Zen. Like, yeah, I've spent some time. Some, I, he's, he's, He's pulled me trick scheme behind the, the G21. Yeah, it's an honor to follow the godfather on this golden mic. It is, for sure, for sure. Well, I want to I want to talk um, a little bit about uh, some of the publication stuff a little bit more here. So two of the most popular photographers in the early and mid-2000s, even still today, Joy Medock and Josh Letchworth, they're also both close friends of yours. Mm-hmm. They were also major contributors to the magazine that you were the editor of for so long. And so they were, I would assume, big assets to your business. Uh, they went out and they started their own wake publication called The Standard. Um, w- was that like a direct shot at Wakeboarding Mag and Alliance Mag? And 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 I just want to know like how you kind of took that. I wouldn't say it was a direct shot because they were definitely going in their own direction. Um and, you know, you got to throw in Bill Doster. He was our staff photographer at the time. So it was, it was him and and those two guys were the top three uh, photographers at the time. And, um, but yeah, I think, I think Joey and Josh were just, you know, these creative guys that wanted to have, you know, their own um, medium to host their best work. And I think, you know, after we'd have to cut images and cut pages and, you know, no one really understands what it's like to be a photo editor until you do that job. And so many photographers, you know, there's a list of complaints. Like, oh, I can't believe this wasn't a spread. Why is this only a half page? That should have been a cover. I've heard it a million times. And there's just so much that goes into it um, based on who had the cover last month. You know, there's so many factors that, 
you know, can't even be explained um, in the confines of this podcast. But yeah, those guys definitely wanted their images to breathe. They wanted a photo book. Um, Wakeboarding Magazine was founded on product and instruction. And through all our reader surveys, that's what people wanted was product information and instruction. Those were the two, you know, cornerstones of that magazine. Everything else was just entertainment. But they were looking to do more of like, you know, the journal type of um, photography driven um, print book, high quality. So that was their vision. There was no stopping them. So, I mean, you know, I think it was definitely a shakeup, but they're good dudes and we were friends. And, you know, so I, you know, there are plenty of other emerging photographers at the time. They might not have been as good, but they were getting really good. And digital photography was, you know, starting to get better. And, but yeah, you know, I really miss seeing those Josh Letchworth slides come across my desk. He had these custom mounts that were super cool and you know sometimes you know everything would change once Lechi would walk in the door you know he'd walk in all smooth he'd throw down like 12 slides for you to look at he'd be all nonchalant he'd about pull it out the, the, the loop the eye, look, what did they yeah call the it? loop yeah the, uh, the uh the eyeglass that you yeah <laughs> totally so he pulled that out we had a big light table and man like flip the switch on the light table yeah flip that switch <laughs> see greg nacrasson boosting like a huge melon or something and it's like wow this is going on the cover you know i remember several times he'd just come in and lay down a slide and we'd look at it and say that's cover you know and you know, they, our our staff, our management was all honest to like plan that stuff out, but nothing beat those moments where you could just throw the plan out the window because right. you know this stuff went down. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so what was one of your most outrageous memories uh, from <laughs> from the mag? Maybe a time where you you weren't sure if you crossed the line uh maybe you did cross the line with maybe and maybe got away with it possibly because you were with an athlete yeah i was on uh thin ice at times dano i think you know tom james always had my back he knew he knew i was operating under the right mindset and doing the right things but we're all human and when you get passionate about something you know sometimes that can get the best of you i remember telling a kid to shove a wake skate up his ass after he won a contest in our magazine because he was being a real smart aleck and the kid's dad like faxed he printed out my email and he faxed it to all my bosses like he went on the mass head so i look in the mailroom and in every one of my bosses mailbox and he edited the email uh transcription so that it just seemed like i was being a complete ass this kid but he was provoking it and uh he was just complaining about not having his prize in time so you know told him said something like yeah, your wake skate's on its way. Let us know when it arrives, and also let us know how far you can shove it up his ass. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, yeah, I want you to see how far you can shove it up your ass. Let us know. You know, oh just the God. smart Alec email. Um, Did you post just, it in the mag too? Uh, Tom actually joked about doing that, but no, I was I was fired for that for a brief moment for sure. Um, once those faxes hit the mailboxes and. I saw one of the faxes that said, you know, let's fire Kevin on the fax. And Tom comes over holding it and he's laughing because that's something he would have done back in the day. So, and then I see him say, Kev, you're in trouble, man. I'm like, damn it. I know. Like I am. And I think everyone's kind of made that email mistake once, right. you know, you make it once and then you never do it again. And that was, you, well, no, was, nowadays it's worse because we have our, our smartphones and it's like you send, you, you hit send, you're like, 
Ooh. Oh, you know, you get so yeah. heated, you know, totally. that moment. So. Totally. So oh. then I see Tom going to, you know, our vice president's office for about an hour and Tom saved my job, you know, so that I was on thin ice a couple of times. I, let's just say I had a file in HR and human resources. So, but, uh, another time I thought I was going to be on thin ice was definitely one of my, um, fondest memories of just shenanigans around that place was the year that Josh Sanders won King Awake. Uh, it was he, about the year before I started announcing. Yeah, what year was that? I started, uh, my first contest was in 05, but I think I started announcing the King of Wake in 06, and I think um, in 06, um, Josh Sanders came in as the first ever King of Wake, winning the overall series in 05. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was 05, and Josh quit drinking for that season, which I commend any rider for doing. I've suggested it to riders um, at certain times. Because I saw what it did for Josh's riding that year. It was the first year they had King Awake. And, um, you know, Josh quit drinking. You know, I definitely missed hanging out with him. And, you know, everyone knows I was no stranger to Coors Lights on tour. But I supported his decision on that. And he went on – he was on the podium at every event. seemed like second, third places. I don't think he ever actually won a single event. But he had enough cumulative points to win the King Awake. And – you know, I've seen riders do it since then. I've seen Chad Sharp quit, you know, drinking for um, long stretches. And I recommend it for all these riders, especially, like, kids that are in their prime. You know, I say kids, but, you know, if you're in your prime, might as well give it a couple months in the middle of summer. It's going to be worth it, and you can celebrate later. And that's uh, kind of where this story goes. Josh um, was in the office with his wife um, after that season, and I hadn't really hung out with him since – you know, he was named King Awake, and we're just having sushi, you know, we're with the publishers and stuff. You guys would go out for lunch. <clears throat> yeah, we'd go to lunch, and I think we all ordered waters, and then, the, you know, server gets to Josh, and Josh looks at me, and he goes, Kevco, beer mate. And it's like, how do you say no to that? You know, impossible. So Josh and I get a beer. It's one of those, like, you know, 16-ounce Asahis or whatever. And then that leads into two. Everyone goes back to work, and Josh and I realize that we should probably take this time to celebrate his King of Wake prowess on the on the tour that year. So we make up. We drew a map of the Winter Park Village on the uh, on a cocktail napkin, and we plotted out every place that might serve beer. And we created our own little ale trail around the village there in Winter Park, and. You know, we went to Cheesecake Factory, did a beer, went to the Mexican joint, had another beer, went to Brio, we're doing shots. And then, uh, you know, we figure Publix is in there too, and they they serve alcohol too, so we might as well swing through Publix. Grab a sixer. Yeah, so we grab a six-pack of Budweiser, and, you know, by now it's like 4.30, and, you know, people are getting ready to go home, and Josh and I have just been drinking since lunch, you know? What did you say, the uh, Ale Trail? Yeah, it was the the Winter Park Village Ale Trail, (laughs) newly founded. Roughly four hours into I don't this. Th- yeah, <laughs> never been done before or probably since. But um, so, yeah, we end up at Publix and, you know, Josh is just on fire being hilarious. He hops in a shopping cart and I end up pushing him back into the magazine in the shopping cart. And he's holding the six pack of Budweiser and I roll him into the elevator. <laughs> we come upstairs. I'm rolling Josh out of the elevator thinking like 
this is going to be one of those moments that like, I'm definitely going to get fired for this. You know, like, what am I thinking? I kind of had that as those elevator doors open, I'm pushing Josh out. And uh, we run into my publisher, Jim Emmons. And I'm thinking, this is it. I'm done. Like, we're clearly hammered, you know, in this place of business. And it wasn't the same. You know, 2005 was way different than 98, you know, so it's kind of the new Bonnier Corporation and stuff. And it, it, a lot less loose, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're running a gym, and I think, oh man, I'm done. This is it. I'm done. And Jim looks at us like we're crazy because we were. And Jim kind of double takes, looks down. You could tell he was like stressed out from his work day. And Josh just kind of pulls a Budweiser out of the six pack and says, Hey, mate, you want one? And Jim kind of looks around, looks at us again. He's like, yeah, man, screw it. Give me one. <laughs> he like grabs a beer and ducks back in his office. And then we, you know, we just rolled around. I pushed Josh around the office and he's handing out beers for people for happy hour. And we kind of pulled it off somehow. But... Yeah, you got out of that one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And just sounds like a lot of fun, you know, and, and a lot of great memories working working at the uh, at the magazine and, and, you know, and everything that you've, you've had the opportunity to do. But here we are today, 2016. And you've taken on a new role within the industry, a role which is, once again, a behind-the-scenes job. And it's a job that, you know, you're basically out to help uh, anybody who's a Toad Water Sports enthusiast. Um, And I don't think that enough people out there truly know about the WSIA, what it is, uh, what they do. So I want to find out, what is your new position and and then talk a little bit about WSIA. Yeah, thanks, Dano. And and you know it is an important part. Um, much of it goes on behind the scenes, but the WSIA's mission is to promote and protect all of towed water sports, actually including parasailing as well. But Larry Medock has been the executive director for many years now, and he's an absolute icon in the industry. He's a legend, um, mentor to me, just a great guy. You know, one of those guys that you spend any amount of time with and you, you leave a better person, you know, and, um, the WSI was actually a client of mine after the magazine, I started a media business and I was doing communications for the WSI. So we do a monthly newsletter. I do social media PR for them and stuff like that. And, you know, Larry's, Larry's looking at, uh, you know, turning over the reins. He wants to stay involved with some of these waterway battles. There's a lot of that going on, you know, people contesting, um, that there's big waves hitting their shore and causing property damage and shoreline. People trying to shut down wake surfing and wake there's, That's the biggest issue facing our sport right now. And it's, I'll tell you, Dano, it's a serious threat. There's no doubt about it. Um, we're going to lose some of these battles. So right now, one of our biggest missions is to compile data to combat this stuff. So when some angry homeowners complain about, I have three foot waves hitting my seawall, you know, we can come back and say, look, you know, these waves are actually this height, not what you claim. And we can come in with factual data to kind of support these people when they're going into battle. Why are these people, why, why, like, why are they so angry? You know, and Larry says it, you know, when you peel the onion, but, and it's ironic, every single one of these waterway battles that we've seen has started with a personal conflict. It wasn't actually the the alleged wave damage. That's That's a byproduct of the initial confrontation and it usually involves um you know younger kids or you know 
cranking tunes and just having fun and working the same shoreline forever. Probably some one finger salutes. And exactly. And so the homeowner will come out to the dock and they'll get the one finger salute. And then that homeowner will go to their homeowners association and make a complaint. And then, you know, it turns into a whole battle and there's a whole network of local versus state versus federal authority that governs all these waterways and larry is so knowledgeable on all the intricacies of how all this works and we wakeboarding and wake surfing has stayed alive on so many lakes you can see on this map in my office right here the green flags are you know the victories we've had and there's many more um that i need still need to post but larry um just deserves to be commended for his passion and his conviction when uh you know, we have a hotline and when that hotline rings, Larry's on top of it. And that's probably the biggest threat, you know, happening. And we're just, we're just telling all the guys, you know, if anyone's in marketing out there, whether you work for a dealership or a manufacturer, and we just got to really watch the marketing tones where they're talking about how big these waves are. Right. Cause you know, you, you open a wakeboarding magazine and the first, you know, six or eight ads are wake surfing ads these days. Cause that's, you know, that's where sales are going in in the boat market. Um, and speaking of that, December four, December twenty fourteen to December twenty fifteen, uh, wake boat sales are up sixty four percent. Amazing. So yeah, that's. I mean, the trend is just astronomical. The growth that we're seeing still in wake surfing, and um, but at the same time, we're telling these guys like, hey, tone down your marketing. Don't be talking about how big colossal massive these waves are you know just talk about the shape and the lip and the curl and and the push push (laughs) and the customizability and that's you know we really got to stick to that as an industry and you know trust me i was on the other side of that you know like we said growing up we tried to break all the rules and stuff but now i'm telling you guys in the industry like this is real and we're gonna have to be smart about this if we want the sport to have its vitality Okay, I, I looked at the website, and I know there's there's a lot of opportunities for people to become a part of the WSIA. So who 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 joins WSIA? Like who who what who are the members you're looking for? Well, basically anyone that manufactures products should be a member of the WSIA. Um, you have to be a member to exhibit in the wake section at Surf Expo, and then you'll notice on the bottom of every wakeboard in existence is the WSIA warning label. So, um, that's kind of people's first recognition. Oh, okay. Yeah. The WSI does this. They do on product warning labels for all the products in the industry almost. And, you know, if you're a dealer, there's benefits for you. If you're a cable park, there's new benefits right now that you'd be crazy. What about a golden Mike podcast? Would I be a good member of the WSIA? I mean, Dan, I think you would qualify for like the lifetime honorary, you know, membership. We have to create a category for you. I mean, I'm I'm wondering, I look at the website, I'm like thinking, you know, maybe I should. Yeah. Friends, friends, schools. schools. Okay. So, you know, looking at that. So do I, do I sign up? And if I, if I want to, how do I do that? Uh, well, WSIA.net is where you can become a member. Um, I would recommend it for anyone who's not, and they can just call me directly if they had any questions of what the benefits are. But, for example, we've done a lot of great things in the cable park world. We we do those those orange signs that are on the dock at every cable park, kind of says the rules. Those, you know, I'm sure not a lot of riders go up and actually read them. However, in the event of an accident, those are going to protect that park. And risk management is a huge part of the WSIA, and it's one of our 
pillars um, along with um, education, like I said. Um, we do events, and then risk management is another pillar. And so the, the real benefits are having the risk management, and WSI is kind of your safety blanket. So when things go wrong, call us. We're here to help. We promote and protect all these activities. And you guys have a big summit coming up, the, the World yeah. Famous Summit I always yeah. hear so much about, and it's in a new location this year. It is. Um, it's always been in a snow location, and this year's the first time it's going to be more of a beach-type theme. But we're uh, headed to San Diego, San Diego, um, on March. It's actually February 29th and March 1st. And if you're an industry guru, you're at this event. The summit is the spot, and it's nice because you're away from the only other time we really all get together is Surf Expo, and there's so much going on that right. weekend, and everyone's pulled in different directions. But the summit is a very focused, concentrated group of the top executives in the industry, and a lot of things go down, and a lot of um, plans are ironed out, and things happen outside of our breakout seminars and keynotes and stuff like that, and you know. Again, it's just fun being with these guys. They're just a great group of people that I love, and it's another work hard, play hard kind of event. But it's uh, yeah, that's coming up soon. So if you're hearing this podcast and you want to join us in San Diego, you're welcome to San Diego. I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna see what uh, flights look like. I'd like to get out there. Yes, sir. You got room on the floor? Yeah, we might have to. Uh, you bring that microphone. Things are gonna happen for you. Yeah, right. Exactly, Kevco. Uh, what was your biggest accomplishment within the industry, would you say, so far? Wow. Um, I don't know. It might be better for someone else to, to comment on. I mean, there's been some gratifying moments for sure. I mean, like you mentioned, creating Trick of the Year in the Wake Awards was probably my biggest, I feel like, charitable contribution, you know. I've done. I've had a lot of charitable, you know, just things you want to do and you do it because you love it. But, um, man, just this last year, there was a pretty cool moment, actually, Dana, we... We run an auction every year for the WSIA, and we round up about 50 products from the industry, and we put them on display at Surf Expo. And this year, you know, we were able to raise $10,000. Wow. And we're sitting in the the board of directors meeting the day after Surf Expo, and Scotty Clack raises his hand. You know, those of you who don't know Scotty Clack, he's a water ski legend, and now he's at Inmar uh, Marine Engines. And Scotty said... Scotty's one of those guys that doesn't speak up often, but when he does, people listen. Right. So Scotty raised his hand. He said, yeah, I'm just curious, guys. You know, where, where does this money go? And Larry said, well, you know, it goes in the WSI operational budget, and that's where it sits. And Scotty said, well, we had some charity items in here, didn't we? And I said, yeah, you know, we had a board for Brad Smela, and we had Matt Manzari's board, and a framed photo of him, and... You know, the proceeds of those items were going to go, you know, to those guys, which I think totaled about, you know, 400 bucks for each of those guys around that number. And I was, I was hoping to get that a little higher, but, you know, Scotty just kind of had everyone's attention and said, you know, we got a guy out there that was electrocuted and almost lost his life. And we got another guy that is a quadriplegic because of his will to push the sport. He goes, we're the WSIA. We need to protect these guys, right? He goes, why don't we take all this money and donate it 100%, you know, 50-50, split it up all between both those guys. And everyone just kind of looked around the room, and I was, you know, my jaw dropped because that was something I had hoped would happen, but I, couldn't, 
I couldn't make that motion. And um, but Glenn Sandridge uh, seconded Scotty's motion. He's the he's a group publisher at Bonnier, and then no one in the room objected to that. So shortly after Expo, I was able to cut checks to Brad and Matt each for five grand. And Amazing. Yeah, it was you know definitely holding back tears in that meeting of of joy just to be able to help those guys out and those kinds of things. Dano are what you know really keep me going in this industry and that reminds you of why you're a part of this thing. And, you know, those are, those are the most gratifying moments. Absolutely. One last question. Oh boy. Uh, can you remember meeting me back in the early nineties and what was your impression? Man, it's probably Dano. more of an impression on my dad than me, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your dad was, your dad was all about it. Well, yeah. The funny thing was, Dano, your dad hired me to teach you water ski lessons on, you know, he gave me, a couple of $20 bills or something, which I would quickly spend on teenage Wisconian shenanigans. Right. But, uh, you know, you were, you were definitely a unique individual. You didn't, you definitely didn't have the mojo that you have now, obviously, you know, but, uh, as a kid, you were just really funny and you were determined and, you know, there are other skiers that were more talented. For example, your friend, Eric Ruck, our friend and uh but no i remember teaching you you know doing you know spins on the trick ski and stuff like that and going out and i saw that you had a drive you have you got the, like this serious look like where your eyebrows scrunched down and you're like <laughs> taking things serious and yeah you were probably what nine years old yeah, at the time nine, i think trying to get on the junior aquanauts sure. and yep yep but uh you know you had that you had that wisco spirit and you still do you've never lost that and you've never you know you never hid that around the chorus of core wakeboarders, you know, that, hey, I'm a Midwest show skier. And, you know, I think people respect your individuality and, you know, just, you know, it's, it's manomania. Cool. That's it. Kevco, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me here and, and, and doing this interview. I think it was a, a really, really important one for, for people to, uh, to, to listen, you know, behind the scenes. And uh, this was, we, once again, we Probably could have gone gone on for hours. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's go grab a beer and save the solve the problems of the world. All right, sounds like a plan. Kevco, Kevin Michael, ladies and gentlemen, he is the assistant director of the WSIA, and you heard it all right here on the Golden Light Podcast. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and the love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Use my promo code MANO30 and you'll get an additional 30% off your entire order. Once again, that's promo code MANO, M-A-N-O-3-0 at Woodrose.com for 30% Set off everything. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E dot com. Hungry stand-up paddle boards are built with both flat water and wave riding in mind. Whatever your needs are, Hungry Boards SUP has you covered with super durable and stable boards built with young and old riders in mind. Hungry Boards are real boards for real people. Hungry Boards are great boards made to last and deliver excitement that will keep you hungry for more. Check out their website at HungryBoardsSUP.com to see a full lineup of what they have to offer. Again, that's HungryBoardsSUP.com. 
presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. It's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano. Some fun stuff there with Kev Cohen. I think it was really important to have him on the podcast. I can't get enough of those old days, and I loved hearing about shenanigans with those Australians. So many more stories we could have told, but I think we covered some really good ground. Listeners, tell me what you think. Email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com, or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Once again, find me on social media, Twitter, follow me at thedanotmano and at thegolden underscore Mike. On Instagram, at danotmano, and don't forget to like and share the Golden Mike Facebook page with all your friends and family. A big congratulations to the winners of my custom Golden Mike podcast C-Deck giveaway. Longtime listeners, Natalie, Grand Slam, Graham, Todd Schinderly, and Sean Stempian. Your C-Deck should be there like any day now. One more thank you to my guest, Kevco, a.k.a. Kevin Michael. And now a few shout-outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thank you to C-Deck Marine Products, Performance Ski and Surf, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Hungry Boards SUP, Boulder Boats, Go Puck, Rockstar Energy, and Logos That Pop. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Daniel Lomano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.